this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. What if God died for all people from all different places and all times, but we only went to a few? What if God died for everyone, but we selected just a few that we would entrust the gospel to in our own mission work? You see, Christ died so that all could live, not just so that some could live. The gospel, 1 John 2, 2, that Christ died for our sins, but not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. You know, if a wealthy, God-fearing woman from the Middle East slash Asia, an enslaved young woman who's controlled by a demon, and a Roman jailer can be saved, then I believe anybody can be saved. Today I want you to be able to walk away knowing that God came for all, sent us to all, and works beyond our simple methods you see, we're going to engage three different people, Lydia, a slave girl, and a jailer. And all three of these people are going to have a common thread, not based on their backgrounds ethnically or with their finances or with their beliefs, but based on one faith in Jesus Christ alone. We're going to see a unity, and we're going to see the start of something new, a church plant in Philippi. So I want to show you an unstoppable God with an unstoppable plan working through an unstoppable church, one that you're a part of. You become part of, by faith, you've been, become part of the people of God. Sons and daughters who have united together past all of our backgrounds and histories, but united together through Christ. We go together. We live together. We encourage one another. We are brothers and sisters. I want to walk through Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 40 with you. It says, From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, the next day to Neapolis, and there, from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. Let me tell you something, y'all. They were booking it. Like, if you look at a map, these guys were flying through this area. This is like... Uh, Via uh, Ignatius, via, yeah. This territory, like, took a while. Like, later on in Acts, it takes them five days to get this through this journey. It takes them, like, a day. These dudes were booking it. They had somewhere to go. And, and if you think back, why? Because remember, God prevented them from going to Bithynia, north, and told them to go to Macedonia. Like, they had a plan. They had a mission. Nothing was stopping them, hindering. They were going. Like, they weren't stopping. Like you, they were literally booking it to this place. And it's amazing to see what God does through leading them there, through them going there and being faithful. Look at this, verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. And a God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her whole household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. 
Like, this is the first dramatic transformation we see of a woman. And, and, and like, this, the, the timing, how God was working behind the scenes to get them there, not go to north to Bithynia, but to come south and to, to go to this place, Philippi, where there's no synagogue, which doesn't make much sense because you know how Paul travels, right? He goes to a city. He goes into a synagogue. He preaches in the synagogue. Two people turn and respond, and then he goes outside to the Greco-Roman Empire, to the culture. That's how he works. Well, there was no synagogue in Philippi. So rather than go into a uh, synagogue, he just finds where people are praying. They're down by the river. There's a lady there named Lydia, which may be her personal name or actually may just be like a status that she was. Uh, Lydia in Greco-Roman culture meant something like maybe of a um, high stature in the city. Uh, She had prominence in the city. And she was making purple clothing, which was the richer, the more royal clothing to wear. So a lot of the Roman leaders would wear it over them um, because, and we don't think about this in modern day, right? But back then, it was really hard to extract the color purple. You had to, there was two different methods to do it. One was a cheaper method, but didn't bring out as distinctive a purple. The other method was a lot more difficult and brought out a better color. So the more expensive route brought a lot of money for the person that sold it. So Lydia, who apparently owns a house that was big enough for the missionaries to come in, had some wealth and had some status in the city. But she's a God-fearing woman down by a river praying to the Lord, and she hears a man teach, but the Lord opens her heart. Like all that background, all that she was in the city and all this different trip leading up to this moment, they were faithful. The men were faithful to go where God had called them to do, to be present where this woman was praying. These women were praying and learning, listening. And then all of a sudden, God opens up her heart. Behind the scenes, God working. And I think sometimes it's difficult in our life to know like, God, what are you doing? Where are you sending me to? What's going on in my family? Why are my kids struggling with this? Why is my family struggling with this? God, I don't understand. And I love that in the midst of all this, it's not because Paul and Silas went. It's not because of who they were. It's not because of all that. It's because God opened up their heart. God opened up her heart, and she believed. And after that, her whole household believes. She goes and teaches this message to her whole household, and they're all baptized. Like, they believe, they're baptized, and then they welcome in and launch the first church. Do you see how fast that just happened? Like, we're five minutes in on this thing. We just read a couple verses, and a church just got planted. You know what I'm talking about? Does that amp up anybody else in here? (laughs) I, like, literally, this is, this is like you guys going out, and you're like, just down by a river. Somebody's praying, and you're like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. They're like, oh, I believe. And all of a sudden, a church is planted with multiple people in it, baptized to believe in Jesus Christ. They declare it to the world, to the church specifically, and they launch a church in her house. I think it's amazing. Okay, second story. Verse 16. Once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Look, there's nothing inherently wrong with that message, right? It's kind of true. It's not the message that's wrong, but it's the way it's being delivered. I think we have to be careful of methods. I think we have to be careful that we understand that there's certain ways and certain things that we can do that aren't declaring the gospel in the way that we should declare them. We need to be careful of this. 
Later, Paul would just say, man, declare the gospel. Like, we want people to hear. But you also have to see that Paul, in this context, has an experience where there's somebody trying to proclaim the gospel that's not doing it in the right way. But with all these methods and all these different things, you combine all this stuff together, and here's what happens. Here's what takes place. Paul, get, it says, she did this for many days. Paul gets annoyed. It says, Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out right away. Again, God working in the midst of what Paul and Silas are doing. I don't think Paul and Silas took off and were like, hey, let's go check out and let's go find all of the people who are enslaved and demon-possessed. But along comes a young girl who's enslaved and demon-possessed. And in that moment, God uses Paul and Silas, probably not exactly what they thought they were going to be doing, but Paul uses them. Or God uses Paul, right? Right? Like, sometimes, like, you like, man, I don't know what I'm doing here, God. I don't know why you're sending me here. I don't know where I'm going. Like, I'm going to these specific people. Why are these people around me? Why am I gauging these different things? But God is working in the midst of it all, opening up hearts, casting out demons. Verse 19, when her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in on the, uh, in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with robs, rods. Do you all see what just happened? The gospel's preached. That's okay. The demon comes out. It's okay. What, when did the gospel become an affront to Roman culture? finances. Right? It's not the gospel inherently that they're frustrated with. It's the impact of the gospel on people's lives. It set this young girl free who was being used and abused by her owner. So when God sets her free, now the owner is frustrated because the gospel has set someone free. I don't think we should be surprised when we go into a culture that's held captive by sin, Satan, and death. I don't think we should be surprised when we're setting people free and the, and the culture gets frustrated. The bondages to which the culture has on people's hearts and on people's lives and on people's finances. The world does not want you to invade that and to change culture, to change ideas, to change beliefs, to change how people live their life. They don't want it and they'll push back against it. In fact, so much so that Paul and Silas are stripped off of their clothes. They're beaten with rods and eventually, verse 23, after they had severely flogged them... They threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. This is like maximum security prison area, right? So like Roman uh, jails in the center of it, it was uh, kind of, like it's harder to get out of there because there's other guards around. Uh, you have to go further to get out of it. So you put a, a, a jailer in there, watch them. They shackle them up. They put these things around their feet and sometimes around their bodies to where uh, if you move, it has kind of like things protruding in it so that it would cut you more and hurt you even more. So essentially what they were trying to get them to do was just stand still or to be completely still in some position. So... They're going to be there for quite a while, at least a day. They're going to be just completely still in this moment. But look at what God does. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. 
When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. Y'all, this is a miracle of God. Yes, there were earthquakes in their day, but the timing and what happened and what resulted from it, all is what God is doing. God is showing us that he can open up hearts to teaching, that he can cast out demons and lead to salvation, and that he can create earthquakes that lead to the jailer's salvation. God is showing us that he has control over all things. He's in all things, over all things, working through all things, and he created it all in the first place. And he's showing us and put it on full display that he's over it all. So here's what happens in this moment. They're set free. Paul's free to go. Right? The jailer's about to take his life. The situation is, you know, uh, uh, there, it's the middle of the night. Like, get, escape, get out of here, run out of town, just be free. Go, Paul. Go, Silas. Get out of here. Why would you want to stay in a place where they're going to beat you? Verse 28. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself because we're all here. Look at how God is using Paul. The man just set the captive free. The enslaved girl who had a demon in possession, he calls upon God. God delivers that demon out of her, setting this young girl free from the enslavement that she was a part of. She has no use to her owner now. She is freed. He's been held captive in a prison. He's now become the one who is captive. All of a sudden, he has the opportunity to run, but he doesn't run. Why? Because God has a different plan for this jailer. It's not for him to take his life. It's not for him to to endure the punishment that's from the chief magistrates because he let a, a captive free. Paul and the rest of them Stay where they are. Paul says, don't hurt yourself. Look at how God uses this. Verse 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Look at how God's plan works. Like, why why do Paul and Silas have to go to jail? They just set a, a young girl free. Is that not a good thing? But the culture doesn't like it because now they can't make money off of her. So now they're set free. They're placed into jail. And now they're enslaved and held captive by these shackles. And all of a sudden the shackles come off. And in this whole story, we look at all this. And it all led to a moment when the jailer says, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And sometimes the faithfulness that we have to God doesn't look pretty. It doesn't look all like, man, this method really worked. Like, I'm, I'm sure, like, if most people looked at that and they were like, man, what's the best strategy for Im- impacting Philippi? They wouldn't go, hey, go to the city center, get stripped of all your clothing, be beat, thrown in jail, and then stay in jail. Like, that's not church strategy, right? It's not how we do church growth. This isn't about that. This is about being faithful to God. And so he asked, sir, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's response, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had become to believe in God with his entire household. That is transformation. That's what God does. Working through the craziest of circumstances, God's the one that opens up hearts, casts out demons, creates earthquakes, and saves a jailer and his whole family. 
But I want you to look specifically at the transformation that takes place in this jailer's life. He believes in the Lord Jesus. He gets baptized. Like that already is just huge in their culture. In Philippi, you would worship all the different gods. But he then takes them into his home. What should a jailer do? Keep the prisoners in jail, right? Like, don't let them out. The goal of a jailer is to keep them in their jail cell. And these specifically were supposed to be in that maximum security place. Don't let them out. And what does he do? Takes them to his home. Not only that, but like in the jail cell, uh, the only way you could get food was if someone else in your family brought it to you. So they had to actually bring it to the jail and provide the food for you. The jailer takes them to his home and then provides food for him. This is so countercultural. This is transformation of this man's life because the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of these people, Paul and Silas and their companions, to do what God has called them to do. God is saving people's lives, transforming people from once uh, being enslaved to demons, from being enslaved to the, to the public, these, uh, this jailer, and from Lydia, who is God-fearing. All three of those completely different people but yet God is working in their lives. I mean, we should look around this room and see people who are vastly different. Different ages, different backgrounds, different countries that we came from, different languages. We should see different financial status. We should see everything in here. All united because of the faith that we share in Jesus Christ. Verse 35, when daylight came, the chief magistrate sent the police to say, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released, so come out now and go in peace. That, like that alone just shows you what God's doing, right? Like that's just unbelievable. Most likely what took place here was the jailer and the chief magistrates see this earthquake take place, see the shackles be set free, uh, see Paul and Silas and the companions and the other prisoners stay where they are, and they're like, man, these guys are not revolutionaries. Because remember, the owner of the enslaved girl, remember, they, they said that they were like coming up against Rome, and now we're seeing, man, no, these people are just peaceful. These are lovers. People are extending grace to the jailer. Saving his life, literally, physically and spiritually. And they see this transformation, letting them free. We're not entirely sure what happens to let them free, but we do know in Greco-Roman culture, the gods were the ones who created, created earthquakes. So they know that the gods, or they believe that the gods are unhappy with what has taken place. The flogging, the stripping of their clothes, the throwing in the prison apparently didn't make the gods happy. What they don't know is there's one true God who controls all things. The jailer has learned this and the magistrates need to learn this. But in all this, God is working. Is that not unbelievable? Look at verse 37. But Paul said to them, They beat us in public without a trial, although we are Roman citizens, and threw us in jail. And now they're going to send us away secretly? Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. Like, that is so bold and countercultural, right? Like, Paul, you were just in jail. They're letting you out. He's like, no, no, no. Bring those people who were against me in front of me. Let them lead me out. And you see why, right? Because what is done in public 
They want it to be reversed in public. Not just in secret. Because that phrase where it says, they appeased them, is literally like they, they asked for forgiveness. Verse 38, the police reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, so they came to appease them. Like, hear that. And so they, they're going to walk them out in public. And, and man, y'all, what they needed for the early church was just this. Paul was standing up boldly for the early church to see what it looks like to stand up in culture, to remain peaceful and bring grace and love, salvation to, to the jailer, but at the same time be bold in your faith. Because think about it. Lydia, the enslaved girl who was demon-possessed, and the jailer whose whole family comes to faith in Jesus are all young baby believers. This is 18 years after Paul started throwing people into jail. He had been through a dramatic transformation by seeing Christ. He had been thrown into jail, flogged, almost killed, like brutally beaten. He had gone through all of this growth spiritually, being drawn near to the Lord. The Lord had done so many miracles in his life. And he gets to this point where he sees all these miracles. And this is like common for him. This transformation is common for him. But for all these young baby believers, they're watching. And what they've seen is these missionaries, these church leaders, put in the middle of the city, flogged, stripped of their clothes, beaten and thrown in jail. And I'm sure they're asking the same question. Are we just going to be killed? If we go preach the same gospel, if people could start coming to faith and not worshiping the other gods, are we going to be beaten too? And so Paul walks out of the jail with the leaders of the city and shows the church you can stand firm. You can be strong. You can be courageous in the middle of the city. You can defend the faith. It says in verse 40, after, after leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters and departed. How encouraging must that have been? For here comes Paul. It's not like they had cell phones and texting, y'all. Like, they're, like they were literally worshiping at Lydia's house. Or what they knew of worshiping because they were so young in the faith. They're literally like at Lydia's house, like gathered together as Christians, talking about what God has done in their life. I can only imagine the enslaved young girl who was demon-possessed, who was predicting future based on demon, demonic possession, who's literally sitting there going, God saved me. Right? And here comes Paul and Silas and the companions coming forward to them with the leaders of the city beside them. Can you imagine how this church, probably in fear at first, but then in celebration when they walk in free. And, you know, when I think about Lydia's house, I think how, how wonderful of a picture must it have been for Paul and the companions to walk into this situation. And there's Lydia who... Y'all, they're gathered together. If they're talking about something and teaching something, at least we know Lydia knows something because she was the one that was listening to Paul and Silas, right? As they were teaching, God opens up their heart so she knows some teaching. And uh, uh, the jailer had, had heard Paul singing songs, right? So I just like think like this early church, they're walking up to this young church plant and all of a sudden Lydia's teaching what she had heard from Paul in this gospel message that she just heard. And over here's the jailer who's probably like the worship leader. And I think about it, I'm just like, this is beautiful. Like this is a church plant. 
so cool, so encouraging, so drenched with the gospel and unity. So I want to give you a couple thoughts on this. First, God opens up her heart. God opens her heart. Paul's teaching, but God is opening up her heart and showing her the gospel message. God removes a demon by, through exorcism, and God delivers the jailer through a miracle. It is God who is at work in this culture and in these people's lives to draw them to salvation. If God can do this in their life, then cannot God do anything in those whom you go and engage with the gospel? If God can work in them, then, they can, then God can work in your friend, in your brother or sister, in your parents, in your children. I think this is an awesome picture of how God can work in anyone. But if we're called to go to all people, then shouldn't we go to all people? If Christ died for all people, then let us not just go to some. Because it says, what must I do to, to believe in the Lord Jesus, to have this salvation? The, the response is to believe in the Lord Jesus, and then they're, and they're saved, and they're baptized. All of this comes together to unite them into Lydia's house. But I want you to see that the typical pattern is faith and then baptism. Now, Lydia places faith in Jesus, and she's baptized, her and her whole household. The enslaved young girl uh, places her faith to some extent. We don't know exactly what took place in her life. All we know is Paul and Silas are thrown in jail, right? So there's not, like, much follow-up there. But then the next, the jailer is, comes to faith, and the whole house is taught, and they all believe, and then they're baptized. The typical pattern in the New Testament, especially in Acts, is that once you believe in Jesus Christ, you're baptized. Now here's why. Baptism is declaring to the city, to the world, and to yourself and to God that you believe in Jesus Christ. It is that declaration that God has moved and transformed your life. The Spirit of God is working in you. You are declaring to all people, hey, I'm not part of those other Roman gods anymore. I believe in the one true God. And so you may say today, you may say, man, I believe, but I've never been baptized. Well, here's what I challenge you with. Even Jesus was baptized. Why? Because it was a step of obedience. If you're in here today and you're like, man, what's my next step? How can I be obedient to the Lord? What has God called me to do? He's called all to be saved, declared faith to all and grace to all. Therefore, the response of our faith is baptism. Be baptized. Why? Just simply to declare I'm part of this, this family. I'm part of this church. Brothers and sisters united together to fight battles and encourage one another. This isn't legalistic. I mean, we've seen in Acts legalism. It's not you get baptized so that you can be saved. Because we're saved, we're going to declare to the world that we believe. Isn't it cool in this story that Paul and Silas are released because they're countercultural? Did y'all see that? Think about that with me. Paul and Silas are released from jail because they're countercultural. What is, again, what does anybody in the world do when they're enslaved in a prison and their shackles are set free and the guard is kind of out of the situation? They run, right? We've seen they are going to run. But Paul and Silas are so countercultural. Not only does it save the jailer, but the chief magistrates see it and release them because everybody else in the world would have done it and they don't. It's different. Y'all live different than the world. When the world would run, stand and sing psalms. Worship your Lord. 
Be countercultural. Don't just do what the world does. Do what God has called you to do where you are. You know what the result of all that faithfulness is? Like understanding their situation, being in the prison. The result of all that, understanding where they are and being faithful. A jailer comes to faith, a slave is freed, and Lydia is mobilized as an early church leader. Planting a church within her house. That's what takes place. Because of the faithfulness of God to use Paul and Silas to transform people's lives. Even in the midst of prison. I think that's what an unstoppable God with an unstoppable plan using an unstoppable church does. He takes us through prison and leads people out of it. Even the jailer. So church, follow the plan let God do the work. When you're setting captives free, don't forget that sometimes we might become the captive. They go and free a demonic, possessed, enslaved girl, and yet they become prisoners. Don't be surprised when we set free the captives and we become a captive. Because the world doesn't like us setting people free. The world wants people in bondage. We want people in freedom. Everything you do, if it's in this name of the gospel, is going to be against the world. Jesus said it himself. The world is not for what we are preaching. In fact, let me show you how countercultural the church is. When Jewish men would wake up, and this, isn't, this is how their culture had become, right? When Jewish men would wake up, they would thank God for three things. They weren't a Gentile. They weren't a slave, and they weren't a woman. Luke is showing us that God saves the Gentile, slave, and the women. Because the church of God is not based on what your gender is, what nation you're from, what people group you claim to be a part of. The church of God is based on faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Do you see what happens here for Paul? Galatians 3.28, right? There is neither Greek nor Jew. There is neither slave nor free. And there is neither male nor female. Why? Because we are all one in Christ Jesus. Is that not unbelievable? Like literally what that scenario says is this. There is neither the Greek jailer and Jew, nor this young enslaved girl with a demon and free, nor this woman named Lydia and men. No. In the church, we've been bonded together by faith. Mm. That is so countercultural. The, church, the culture wants to set up all these different tiers and separate people out and confuse people. And the world is bringing clarity. We are one. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I hope this morning you'll get on board with what God's plan is for your life. I have two, respons- two gospel responses for you. First, are you going where God has called you to go? Are you going to where God has called you to go? No matter where it is, no matter how difficult it sounds, no matter what place, region it is, 
Maybe it's just here locally in Westminster. Maybe it's literally in your family or with your neighbors. Or maybe it's outside of this state. Or maybe it's outside of this country. But wherever God has called you to go, are you at least listening? If you're not listening, how could we even come to an awareness? Would we at least just ask, God, where do you want me to go? And the second just naturally come from this passage, have you been baptized? All three of these people are baptized into the church of God, the global church, not just a local church, but the global church. They're baptized into the people of God. So have you been baptized? You know, Paul and Silas were in prison and they were released from prison for the same purpose because it was God's plan. Y'all rest in that. Sometimes it's God's plan for you to be released from prison. Sometimes it's God's plan for you to go to prison. Sounds a little weird. You know what I'm saying? Y'all feel me? Don't do anything that causes you to go to prison. It's another little clip somebody's going to take out there. Hmm. But when life feels like you're in the valley, and you're like, how did I get here? Just remember, worship God and know that he's with you because the earthquake may be coming. God may be moving. Be faithful when you're setting captives free and be faithful when you become a captive. And y'all just really practical If Paul and Silas weren't willing to go to the captives because they knew they were going to be held captive, then the jailer and Lydia and the enslaved girl would still be captive, destined for eternity separated from God. Sometimes we need to know that even if we're going to be held captive, it's what God's called us to do. Even if the world is going to shun us, even if we're going to be rejected, do what God has called you to do like a real practical question for you would be this would you be willing to go set the captives free in Haiti even if you knew you might be thrown into prison I know that's super challenging but the question is not Haiti or Africa or Baltimore or Westminster or your job the question is simply where's God called you where's God called you for the people in here asking, like, where do, how does this practically apply to my life? Because we've seen all throughout Acts that God is bonding together the church. How does that apply to my life? Can I just show you what happens when you live a life like Paul and Silas? When you live a life like Lydia and the jailer? The kind of faith that was displayed in that moment led families to freedom. It led whole families to being baptized. You may say, Man, Matt, I just want to know, how can my child be saved? How can my brother and sister, how can my parents, how can my friends, how, I just want to know, like, there's so much evil. How can they be saved? Y'all, look at what's on display here. Faith. Like, there's a difference. There's a real difference between coming and sitting in a chair and asking people to listen to a man preach from a stage and you living out your faith in the city. I hope that what I preach, because the Word of God inspires you to go and live a life that declares the glory of God in everything you do. But may the people, may your children, may your siblings see you live a faithful life. 
represent love and grace and mercy and peace just like they did because it led to their whole families being saved because of the faith of just one. Man, this kind of faith led families to freedom. It led slaves to be set free and brought real justice into the world. The kind of faith changed the entire city forever. Paul would later write back to the church at Philippi, a book you know called Philippians, where he is so encouraged by what they do. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. He says, may your love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may... Become in all righteousness, in all glory, in all that God has called you to do. You may become everything that he wants for you. It's so different than the other letters that he wrote. Because the church at Philippi is living out what they preach, what they say, what they believe. Church, if you want to know how to set the captives free, bring real justice in this world, change the city and change your families, be obedient to what God's called you to do. Show what it looks like to be faithful to your children, to those around you. Just be authentic and live with integrity. And ultimately, as we say a lot around here, just be faithful. You want to change the world, change the hurting, and change your family? Live out the gospel. Let me pray for you. Father, may we be a people who preach your gospel with our words and with our actions. May we, God, be the ones that are sent to the, to the women, to the enslaved, to the Gentiles, to those whom the world rejects, to the, those whom the world oppresses. May we be so countercultural and so transformative that the world doesn't understand us, and so they have to simply look to you. May the world see earthquakes that you perform, see exorcisms that you do, see the opening of heart that only you could do, and give you glory. God, no matter what you do, controlling the world, our hearts, our emotions, the bondages to sin. No matter what you do, God, I pray that you would get the glory and that you would lead people closer to you, towards life, towards eternity. God, would you work in our hearts, change us, transform us, send us to all people, not just some, to the Greek, to the slave, to the women, to those who are rejected from society to the men who are outcasts, to the men who are far away, to our nation and to all nations, to the captives and to those who think they're free. Would you set us all free by the grace that only you can give? And we'll trust you, Father. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Jesus bled and died.
Amen. Remember, right after this service, if you want to join us, we're heading over to pack some shoe boxes. If you hadn't, have not signed up, it's fine. You can still come. We would love to have you. It's a really, really cool thing to do that together as a church body. So you're welcome to join us. Remember, you are sent into the midst of darkness to light it up. You'll have a great week. Have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.